Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of We Need to Talk. I'm your host, Melinda, and I'm joined by my co-host, Carmel. Yo, yo, yo. In studio today, we have no stranger to the We Need to Talk family, my mm-hmm. good friend, writer-director, Mr. Dakota Lupo. Nice. Thanks well, for yeah. joining us again. Thanks for being here. Thank, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody have a good week? Yes. Yeah. It was super busy. Busy. Yeah. Interesting. Super busy. I, I feel like there's a weird LA summertime. It's it's interesting when people say summertime out here simply because it's like, oh yeah, it is summertime. Right. Yeah. It's an odd season. It's an odd oh, season. Yeah. Of, oh yeah. Because it just always feels like summer in LA. It always feels LA. like summertime. Yeah. yeah. I get that. Because well, I live in Toluca Lake and everyone in these houses by me, like nobody's here because they're all like vacationing mm-hmm. and on mm-hmm. summer because they can afford to do that. Um, so it's been very empty, but it's been really, really hot. Yeah. <laughs> Finally. Though. Like extreme. I know. Because it was kind of a, it was definitely a June gloom mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. But I like Anime it. And a May Gray. Yeah. And July... Was there something that rhymes with you? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I had never heard May Gray before. May Gray, yeah. yeah. Well, that's because we just had it this year. <laughs> <laughs> it's and a brand it out, right? new thing <laughs> yeah. for 2019. Uh, well, today our topic is extremely broad, as I was telling the boys earlier, um, just because there's so much going on. But currently in 2019, we are divided uh, politically, we're divided economically, we're divided culturally. And I have no answers to this question. But how do we fix this divide in this country? How do we fix it? Wow. <clears throat> I know. Yeah. It's, I'm yeah. throwing a big one at you. It's a, it's I, a big yeah. one. It's a big I one. Mean, I mean, I think the answer is that we don't. And that's the biggest challenge that mm. we've been trying to amass this. I mean, if we go back to to the Civil War is a good marking point of, yeah. of a, division, a division in the country. That was right. pretty... I mean, when you have two sides fighting against each other in a civil war, you can't get much divided from that. Right. Yeah. So if you have this moment of, of tension and this, this one side versus another side, literally almost like a 50-50 split, then suddenly it just ends. Sentiments don't change. Mm-hmm. Realities don't change. Education doesn't change. Culture doesn't change. The war changes. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at moments like, like we haven't built much from that other than the osmosis of generations going through and fixing things and establishing things, but there's a sense of... We're trying to imagine if in the 1860s we were like, well, we're divided. How do we fix that? Mm-hmm. Well, the way to fix that then was a war. Yeah. And so obviously that didn't work either. Right. So I think <laughs> no. the, the idea of having a divided nation is the most important part of this country. We are the United States, mm-hmm. individualized states that are united amongst a banner that can manage all these poles. Right. So I think that the, the dialogue needs to be less about how do we come together, but how do we be divided and different and understand that people have different realities mm-hmm. and find a way to manage differences less than find so much common ground. Mm. Because I, I think we're realizing now that we don't have common ground. Right. No. Future generations yeah. may have common ground, but right now we're living with generations that we don't have common ground. For sure. And that's something we kind of touched on the last time we had Drexel here, mm-hmm. <clears throat> is that the states themselves are actually what we're, our citizenship is to not to the America that we believe is this country. We're, you know, we're nationals of a state. And I think if we look at it that way more, like we're Californians and what we do helps us. Like if you look at Europe, Europe and America are about the same size generally. Those are countries and those countries have their own cultures and their own infrastructures. Mm-hmm. And like, like if we were like, you know, Spain, I think it would feel a lot different mm-hmm. if we took care of ourselves like Spaniards do. And then you have Portugal and you have France and, you know, those those countries are like states, and like they're very different, you know. But and America is like the EU, right? right. Yeah. We're exactly. Right, so right, if we, right. if I think you're exactly right. If we approached it from that perspective, not trying not to be divided, right. but maybe more segmented, more like what we do in, in California really doesn't affect you in Wyoming. Right. <laughs> and why right. are we trying to do one big thing for everybody? Because right. you don't live like me, you don't talk like me, you don't have mm-hmm. any kind of. Uh, the only thing that's similar is that we have this one flag that we both like. 
But honestly, I have nothing in common with someone mm-hmm. in Billings, Montana. Yeah. Right, but I think that there's not a common respect around the country, mm-hmm. even with the states. And that's what I also mean when, it, when I talk about division is that we don't respect each other's cultures. We don't respect each other's way of life. We don't respect, you know, how California's acted compared to people in Texas. And that's like, how do you fix that? Even I think, if you are, you know, operating Because I think part of it is we're forced to be together in a way we're not really mm-hmm. used to. Mm-hmm. And I think like, going back to Europe, like, you don't really have that issue. Like, they love being French and I'm French and this is my thing. And like, you know, they're not forced to be Europeans, right? you know, mm-hmm. but I think us, we're forced to be Americans. And like my patriotism is nothing like someone in Alabama's. Right. And, and patriotism for what? Why? Because you were born here? Right. I mean, I mean, I think the idea of nationalism, when you go internationally, you look at, um, if you, if you really look at the, 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 the cycle of war from like the industrial revolution to today, even through the French revolution and the American revolution and the American Indian war, and you begin to look at all of these factions of who was on one side and then it flips and then it flips and then it flips. So we're just all different sides that were once another side. Mm -hmm. So it's not Mm -hmm. this eternal battle of one idea versus the other. We're just at this period in time. Mm -hmm. So even beyond just the fact of our borders, there is not much difference between South Texas and North Mexico other than the border that was formed. Mm -hmm. And so when you begin to establish that over time, well, what's the difference between us and everybody else? There really is none. And I think that's the establishment of, of if you talk about the global similarity, then you have to find common ground because you are similar. That's a fact that there's common ground. Less than like, let's find something that we might have. Like we both watch, you know, Stranger Things. Okay, right. that that's not common ground. Common ground <laughs> is the value of, of of needing to feed your children. That's common ground. That's the value mm-hmm. of human life in yeah. general, I yeah. would mm-hmm. say. You mentioned the word patriotism, and I feel like that word has kind of changed what it's meant over time. Do you guys agree or disagree? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. I think it has a negative connotation now, honestly. I think it's been branded and it's been taken with this idea of also American exceptionalism, which mm-hmm. abroad is felt by people. Mm-hmm. And I think that even locally, you say, why, do, why is it so important that, that, that people's states become so valuable? Not because, like you said, of states' rights. That's, like a, that's, an, that's an ancient idea at this point. But the idea of being an American yeah. doesn't, like you said, a patriotism and the being an American have both been changed yeah. to the sense that some people may think the fact that I'm American or even now the word nationalism being I'll put it in quotes, redefined. Yeah. These are terms that people, we talked last time about liberalism. What mm-hmm. does it mean to be a liberal? Mm-hmm. Well, it depends who you're asking. Right. Because you can you could speak of liberalism positively or you could speak of liberalism and it sounds terrible. Mm-hmm. You know? I think a lot of uh, phrases have changed though. Like for me, when I say I'm a Christian, I have to like immediately defend like, oh no, I'm not that type of Christian mm-hmm. because I don't just, there's so many people that have taken words and they identify and they hijack, you know, a phrase or mm-hmm. hijack a culture and they turn it into a negative thing. And it's a shame. Yeah. That's it the really division is. right there. They're assuming you need to be divided into a type of Christian as right. opposed to Christian gray area. <laughs> right? Seriously. Cause, cause, but, right, yeah. right. No, because, for because, sure. because there is a gray area of all these things that you say, where are you from? I'm from America. And I was talking to someone yesterday about when I traveling in the Middle East, the first question that an Uber or taxi driver will ask me is, Trump? And, and the mm. yes or no will set the ride. Wow. And so wow, this idea wow. of when an American comes around, you're either a Trump person or you're not a Trump person because when they see it from afar, it's a 50-50 split-ish. Mm-hmm. So you're either one or the other. So the idea that that there's a gauge of what type of American are you so I could put you in a box is just something that we're manufacturing like all these boxes, all these races, all these states. Pick one and be far from everybody else. Right. And so the rest of the world goes, okay, we'll follow your lead. And it almost like the snowball effect that goes back and forth of us completely separating and now everyone is so far away from each other mm-hmm. that we're, we're lost. Yeah, I think yeah. it would be so different if you went to Europe in 
or someone like, where are you from? I'm, I'm a Californian. Because then that's, that's a very particular type mm-hmm. of person. Because mm-hmm. you know? when you say, I say Los Angeles whenever I've gone abroad, they're like, oh, Hollywood. you know, mm-hmm. And that's immediately, that's the thought no, that's and the picture thing. that when I you say have. American, it's like, I would think the same thing. Trump, apple mm-hmm. pie, bully. Mm-hmm. You know, cause Not I think, apple pie. Hey, it's apple pie. <laughs> you know? um, and that's another thing about like the term American. It's, you know, in the idea that we're better than everybody else. Right. It's yeah. a it's a westernized white supremacist feeling feeling. Sure, and so sure. like I always cringe when you know when we had to talk with Drexel, I, I didn't bring it up, but when we talk about people serving the military and we always say to someone who's dressed in uniform, thank you for your service, thank you for protecting us. I always feel like they're not really protecting us from anyone. We're the problem. Mm. We're the one going around <laughs> right. swinging the guns and the bats right. and being up. No one's affecting me. I, I don't feel yeah. threatened by any country. Yeah. Like, I, and I get we have this terrorist narrative that's going around. I, I've never been terrorized by an Eastern person. So I, I, I don't get that. But I know we're out doing some stuff. It's relative. Yeah, <laughs> and it's extremely relative. And, and, that, and that's when you, you know, especially in the Middle East, you have a generation of children who are now uh, in their 20s that grew up during the Iraq War. Mm-hmm. And what did they know other than they were in a rural town and there was a faction that was causing more harm to them than not. Um, my relation with a lot of Syrians I work with in a lot of projects is that they understand Russia's role in the Syrian conflict. Mm-hmm. And they really do know the difference between a Russian plane and a Syrian plane mm-hmm. and an American plane and a British plane so that for them, from the aircraft, they get an emotional connection to the validity or the... Um, the irreverence of a bomb coming down. So mm. right away, there's an emotional context based upon a passport, mm. essentially. Yeah. And that's something that we've created for ourselves, which can be, like you said, you go somewhere else, you say California, you say Hollywood, that's something. But if you go to Trump country in rural America, that's going to be taken much differently, as it should, because mm-hmm. there's a visage of that that is not in line with their values are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. When it comes to the racial divide in this country, a lot of people have said, you know, we weren't divided until Obama became president. And of course, a lot of people, I know, (laughs) of course, a lot of people now are saying the country is more divided because of Trump's rhetoric. What are your thoughts on that? Because personally, I think that, yes, I do think that the country became more divided when Obama became president simply because people had to come face to face with the fact that they truly did have a problem with having an African-American president. Mm -hmm. And I think racism just came to the surface. And before it was just very hidden and very swept under the rug, but Mm -hmm. they had to come face to face with the fact that they had a problem with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I I do agree that the sense of it being defined has changed, but it had. I mean, if you listen to the Nixon tapes, I mean, that administration was pretty racist as for well. Sure, I mean, so you begin sure. to go through history and, and time and and moments when the, even the 1950s, when this American home and the apple pie and the white picket <laughs> fence, mm-hmm. even though that was extremely a, a white suburban ideal, but it became this this color of America and this like top layer of this is what America is like, mm-hmm. and that. Like you can't. Uh, what was the film? Uh, uh, Suburbi, the one with George Clooney and Matt Damon. George Clooney directed. I mm-hmm. think Suburbicon or something like that. But mm-hmm. it's about. It essentially plays the racial divide in suburban America, where okay. this, where the main character, who's a white male father, goes on this killing raid, and there's this black family who's just trying to be respected in town, and they're getting all the heat. Meanwhile, he's able to do all these things with no problems. And it's a it's a great film that kind of shows this polarity and balance. But those black families being positive and very influential parts of the community didn't exist. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there was no sense of having to face that sense of racism. Right. But when there's a black president, then there has to be a decision to be made by the people. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it got more divided. I think it got more defined. Mm. But we are as, I mean, 
think we've kept a good like consistency of racism throughout <laughs> our history since like, 2008, yeah, right? Yeah, since eight. Yeah, eight. I'm like, what do you mean more divided? It's like, what? To me, I, I've always been like, what's really changed? I mean, there's some things that have made things a bit easier for us to get around and do mm-hmm. things, but like, it's been 54 years. Yeah. Since, I mean, you know, right. it's like it's not it's right. not new. Like, and it's, and again, it's just shifting. There's right. still things that are still in place today in our constitution and our laws that still uh, negate black people in ways that doesn't affect white people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just funny to me. Like, I wonder what would happen and when it does happen when we have a female president. Mm-hmm. Uh, all, all of a sudden, all these like misogynistic men are just gonna yeah. pop. They have always been there. Right. They're sure. there now, but For now sure. those things are gonna come to the surface. Right. So like, it's just things that are now coming up. We're seeing these things now, and now you have to deal with it. Um, I'd I'd rather see it. Mm-hmm. I'd yeah. rather see it. Let I me mean, just yeah. know because I don't I don't want anyone well, to be right. fake around me. They yeah. say the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. 100%. I guess that. Yeah, but it's, it's also that. poor journalism. I think is part of the issue. Like mm. I think the the question of uh, with Pete Buttigieg and they ask, you think America's ready for a gay president? Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the dumbest questions <laughs> I've ever heard because it's not like America is like ah oh, we're as a first of all America is not has another one answer. And anyone says that does, is America ready means does do all these people who have different opinions ready for this one particular opinion? Which is a silly question to ask. Right. But the idea of asking if we're ready for a male, uh, a female president, or, or or an LGBTQ president, it doesn't say anything because there's no readiness. That's not even a question. Mm-hmm. That's to say, are there bigots that will finally find a way to open up and say, I'll accept this as my president? That's what you're asking. Mm-hmm. Right? Are the most yeah. bigoted people going to be okay with it? Mm-hmm. The country's ready for a president because we have a constitution. Mm-hmm. And we set up an right. established way to find a president. Right. We're ready for it. It doesn't matter right. who it is. Right. So I think that's part of the narrative being created by this specializing journalism so we can have a dialogue. Are we exactly. ready for a gay president? Exactly. Right. Yeah. But I think also in what you say, when you say the are you ready, it's like when you think about the Bible Belt, for example, mm-hmm. you know, they think the president represents their country. And to mm-hmm. them, they're like, a gay person shouldn't represent our country mm-hmm. because being gay is wrong in our eyes and we're a Christian nation, quote unquote. Right. So that's why I think they ask, are they ready? Because they aren't ready. Well, they and, and, I, and I think we go back to the beginning of the division in the country. You know, there's a lot of, uh, I think, both Iran and Saudi Arabia with a pseudo Sharia law in there, mm-hmm. the way they run their country. And it's so, uh, it seems like this archaic, ancient idea of having religion be the basis of your country. Meanwhile, the people who are who are subjugating that are the ones that have very much a religious based idea mm-hmm. on their government here in the States. Mm-hmm. So if you look at that and you say, well, if we give a country like Saudi Arabia, which human rights violations aside, which is a terrible thing to say, but human rights violations aside, as a sovereign nation, they have the right to govern the way they wish to govern. Mm-hmm. So then it comes to say, what about our religious nation? What about our a religious nation? The fact that uh, as an atheist, I don't feel represented at all. Right. At all. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that is, I'm okay about it because mm-hmm. you know you shouldn't only feel represented by someone who agrees or understands your way, but it's this sense of, well, if there is different factions here, why don't we all get representation that is equal, which mm-hmm. goes to the idea of this country. But mm-hmm. all of a sudden, it's not about equal representation. It's about, I want my representation to be the overall. For so sure. if we have a president who doesn't line up with your religious values, that's okay. Because yeah. in your lifetime, you may have a few that will. Right. Yeah. Right. For sure. Yeah, that's why I, I keep going back to you know our states. Like If I look at our governor of each state, that probably represents a better... Uh, give you a better image of the people of that state. Mm-hmm. Like that makes way more sense. I mean, not that Arnold ever represented me, you know, but like it's it's closer than looking at our president. Right. Um, so I mean, that's that. I will keep going back to that. Like if the states, if we became more state 
And I always say that, get back to like voting, I always push for voting local, voting for your state, because that actually makes a difference, that those are things we can actually tangi- have sure. tangible results and it for. And affect you. And affect you, Absolutely. right. Yeah, I, the stuff in the, the federal, and that, that's a whole other animal um, you can share it another time. But like, <laughs> that, that's the thing I, I think really helps me understand what's going on here, is right. who's, who's leading us here. Um, I, I never get into the you know, debates about the president. It's, it, to me, it's, it's a show. It's, it's, it's all, it's drama. So you talk about the, the stories and the journalism. It's, if someone's asking if we're ready for, you, you, we're not then, because mm-hmm. you would ask that question, right? Right. No, so are we ready for a white president? Of course. I mean, it's, we've had that. It's hurt. always it's, known. It's always yeah. known. So yeah. it's, you're asking yeah. the question because we're not. And you know this is going to drive ratings. It's going to create a buzz and you get to talk about this. Um, and you would love a gay president because then you have something to talk about. But yeah, I mean, there's other countries who've gone through these and it's, here, here today, gone tomorrow. It's right. it's way it's way past that. So we are a bit archaic in a lot of ways. Where we look at other countries and think they're not progressive, they're like we're way ahead of us right. in certain things that we are way behind in. So and the whole thing about other religions running countries and that. I mean, we've always had this part of our country. So I I don't get why we look at it and think again we're better than someone else because right. we're doing the same thing if not worse in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, even talk about you know when Barack Obama was elected, he mm-hmm. went right into the financial crisis. That was his first action of the first year mm-hmm. of his presidency mm-hmm. was dug into that crisis. And people weren't talking about like, even though this incredibly possibly damning financial crisis is happening, are we ready for this black president? Like by the time he got elected, people stopped asking the question because there was stuff to do. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think that's also part of it that this big grandiose conversation doesn't really happen afterwards that two years into a Buddha judge's term we're going, so how is it with the gay president? <laughs> like it's like it's not and, and, and if and if that was if that was actually gonna continue, then I say let's have the pre conversation. But it, it if we make it matter, then it matters. If it don't make it matter, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Mm. But that's when like all logic just goes out the door when you're just focused on those little things. It's like, is their policy good? Are they mm-hmm. running the country? Is the economy in a good place? It's like, well, they're gay. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, but what does that have to do <laughs> yeah. with any? But there are people that think that yeah. way. And I think I think this is this is part of the challenge. Which I, I'm 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 glad that we were, were enough into this presidential cycle that these Democrats are actually being focused on for their policies. Where Kamala Harris isn't always getting. Is she getting enough of Biden's black voters? Like that—that right. that is a silly. Like sh- you shouldn't need somebody to be the race or the gender or the sex of the thing you need yeah. to have policy go by. Like like the the best uh, the best candidate for black voters is the ones who have things that help black citizens right. and policies that change people right. and other minorities and other races and mm-hmm. everybody. So it becomes less about like you said, there's systematic issues that are pressing oppressing races in this country. Mm-hmm. If there's a focus on that by you know, somebody with Swedish origin and they're stark white, does it matter who the, that, that is literally, we talk about the occupant of the office. They should be a shell of a body. Right. They should be someone who has the moral leadership and the authority to be able to point and direct and to guide and to lead. Yep. That's about it. Mm-hmm. We have 435 senators, I mean, uh, uh, representatives mm-hmm. and a hundred senators to take care of that for us. Yeah. So that's where the representation comes in. Right. Do you think that we have good enough candidates? Or do you think oh. the problem is that we don't? I know. I think I think we do, totally do. I, I feel like okay. here's here's my somebody asked me who are you voting for, and I said that is like going into a restaurant, and like they give you a menu and they're like, hey, we're not even open yet, and then you being like, I'm gonna order this, and it's like, well, we're not gonna open for another two hours, and we have no ingredients yet, and here's the few things that we have, and it's like, but I'm gonna order this. It's the silliest idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Read the menu, see what they have. See what's good. See what's in season. Ask then you the waiter with ask it. the waiter with. I mean, <laughs> yeah. so it's the idea. I think people want to play the game, but For we sure. have incredible candidates. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're. All, I, th- I think that's the part of the problem here is that there's this who can beat Trump. I mean, this cup of coffee 
on the ballot can get 20% of the vote, at least. <laughs> I swear to God. I mean, that's... Probably would. And, 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 yeah. and maybe even yeah. more. So I think the idea of who can beat Trump, I mean, if Pete Buttigieg or, or, or Jay Inslee or, 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 uh, or Kamala Harris or you know, Andrew Yang can't beat Trump, then that's the answer. Mm. Then we're a country who elects. I think there's this idea of we have to beat Trump. No, the election, the presidential election, is a represent, representation of our country. So we all voted for Trump. Whether you voted for him or not, we all did something in this country that led to that. Mm-hmm. So that's going to happen the next time. Right. And so if the candidate doesn't win, then they're not good enough. Right. So if you're worried about, well, Elizabeth Warren is pulling Bernie voters and Bernie's pulling Joe Biden voters, if one of those three can't beat Donald Trump, then we're in a bigger mess than we think. Yeah. Because they're incredible statesmen and women. And yeah. they've done some things in their past that yeah. are questionable and they have right. questionable ideas. But if you put one of those three to at least get things done, I mean, comparatively, this cup of coffee would be exciting right. as well. So it's, <laughs> it's, 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 and, that's, and that's what I mentioned the last yeah, time we talked yeah. with Drexel is like, if I just take this person versus Trump just purely on their political aptitude, they all win. Like, of I can't, course. Except Ma- because Ma- they have Williamson. political aptitude. I mean, right, exactly. Yeah. exactly. He was a reality TV star. Yeah. I think that people are forgetting that. Yeah. yeah. He had no business running for president. Yeah, He's no. no business being president, but that's another conversation. Yeah. But uh, when you get into like, I was listening today on, uh, Fareed Zakaria was interviewing the foreign minister of Iran. Mm-hmm. And um, Fareed was asking him some questions about what he thinks, you know, because the, the foreign minister said that we're not going to get out of this issue with Iran right now until uh, Trump get, he, the U.S. has to get something. And we know that the U.S. has to get something out of this. And he's asking, what is Trump, what do you think he wants? And I don't think he wants anything. Right. I don't, he doesn't have any idea what's going. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's no concept. You, you yeah. hear, what does he yeah. say? Uh, we got some good people on it, and I'm talking to a lot of people, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. And he just uses the same phrasing. He All the time, he, for every no situation. Every single advisor every has said the same thing, that he is unattentive, he doesn't read, he doesn't understand anything. So for these... As that's why he's not aging. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's why he's not aging. Well, he has that idea that he has, you know, his, his theory of working out, that he, he feels that working out is useless because you have an indefinite amount of energy. And so if you, why would you go running? Because you're wasting your energy. So for him, he conserves his life energy. That's his idea of hmm. exercise. Okay. So that person is making decisions about, you know, hijacked tankers in, in the Strait of Hormuz <laughs> wow. and, you know, nuclear proliferation. So oh, we're in good shape. Man. Yeah. yeah, see, that's, <laughs> that's the stuff I get to. I'm like, it's, it's, I would I could watch House of Cards and it would be the same thing to me. Mm-hmm. It's just as real life as this. I, to, I, <laughs> yeah. There's nothing about Trump to me that I feel like I need to invest any time other than talking to you guys about no. it. Because he has no clue what he's doing. Well, here's the imp- what's leading him, and I think the important thing that what might save us all is the fracturing of the Republican and Democratic Party. Mm. Like I I. Uh, those parties, I think, both will and need to fracture. Mm-hmm. The Democratic Party, I think, is, is showing why. And I think they could fracture positively. I think the Republican Party may fracture negatively by the way of people realizing that like, it's either morals or policy. It's either conservative justices or your soul, which is Mitch McConnell's play. And I understand that he's become the pariah of, of, the, of the entire country, right. one of them. Mm-hmm. But he's also on a mission to get conservative justices. And he has been doing that for his entire career, and he's got that. So if he shuts his mouth and stays a target, then he's just going to kind of hang around until he's done. And when he leaves, even if he gets elected out in 2020, 
he's going to still be here for a long time. And his sure. thumbprint's going to be here. So I think once the Republican Party realizes it has to break apart, when the Democratic Party finally realizes that it has to break apart, then suddenly, you know, party, political parties are like races. Mm-hmm. And I think over time, we have, like, races have broken up. Right. You know, and there, Anthony Bourdain had a great quote, and I'll use the kind version, but racism, we're kind of going to screw our way out. Eventually, mm. we'll mm. all just have babies with each other, and eventually everyone will be like a common brown. Right. right. And then like all of a sudden, then we live amongst a place without race. And what is race? Socioeconomic representation. Mm-hmm. And so we'll have the same issues, but we'll actually be able to see them then. So I think part of that is the, the party's breaking down so we can actually see the policy less than what the Republican Democratic ideals. Because if I were to ask you the same thing, it's the same thing you said, Carmel, about being from California. Well, are you from Fresno or are you from Los Angeles? Are you from yes. Bakersfield or are you yeah. from San Fran? Yeah. Big difference. So different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would love to see... Uh, the party's broken up, and I because I've always you said always this because yeah. <laughs> it's such a big deal. Like yeah. we have two parties. Like I didn't even vote for that, so like, mm-hmm. I don't have I, I don't have a reason to even get into this thing because I don't like the whole setup. Yeah. Like if we had four parties, I I could okay now I could see something, some kind of like differentiation with this one and that one because right. to me they're both a bunch of rich dudes who are just getting richer. <laughs> and I, every time I ask like, what's a policy that's solely helped people? didn't have any corporate kickbacks, no lobbying from anybody, just people. Never get an answer. There's been plenty that have been just corporately funded right. uh, agendas and laws. Tons of them. That, to me, already says something's wrong. Mm-hmm. A lot of it has to do with these parties. These guys have their own agendas. They have, keep agenda again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they have things that they're looking for because it's not really about me. It's not about the people. It's right. about them getting what they can and using me as some kind of reason or excuse to go and do this and oh, yeah, we're doing this for the people and I'm rubbing no you're not you're it's gang mentality you. it's gang mentality totally. it's sure. literally grease like the the, with the little jackets because <laughs> yes. like you, if, if you're part yeah, of the pink ladies you can't be an individual you have to represent the pink ladies mm-hmm. and what that ends up being is who's the popular kid who's getting the most followers I mean AOC it has has done her thing since the beginning yeah and 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 objectively speaking she's been a pretty strong representative mm-hmm. but aside from that she represents something that is different than the party and that should be celebrated not denounced yeah and there's and there's a, a guise to all of that that begins to go well she's popular now and so all the presidential candidates are vying for this idea of internet media popularity mm-hmm. which in the currency of voters has never proven never proven to be true anyway there's no instagram or social media or you know, if we knew polling and we knew data, then Trump wouldn't have been such a surprise as president. Right. So we all had to go back and go, well, who are we still following? But you get the parties that are trying to sweep toward this. Let me pull the young voters. Well, I, all I have to do is is sidle up to AOC. Well, that's not a policy. And then all of a sudden you have, as great as she is, a freshman congressman, congresswoman that is leading part of the party, which of all of the representatives should be more than one person. Mm-hmm. should be more than four people. Right. So it brings this sense of who's the popular kid, how do we really get on their side, and how do we make the team cool less than... What Bernie Sanders, I think one thing that he gets like it's lost with him is that if you ask him a question about anything, he'll just... He'll, he goes he puts his blinders on and he goes straight through <laughs> right. policy, yeah. numbers, history, mm-hmm. and he just, he's, he's he gonna, just goes. Yeah. He just goes. And I think mm-hmm. that's what's needed is more... Let's discuss what we're doing. If it fits into a party, great. I mean, he's an independent running for the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. He didn't switch his party. He is an independent running for the Democratic yeah. Party, which is how it should work. Yeah. Like I, and that's funny because, <coughs> again, when we talk with Drexel, I hate the fact that it's got to be who's popular, who mm-hmm. speaks, speaks well. Because like, if you look at Bernie, yeah, he just puts his he just mows it down. He's, and he's so good at that, that almost got him elected. Mm-hmm. But if, you know, he didn't because he's old. 
You know, and he, yeah, but he he's Trump not got he's, elected because he's popular. Yeah. He was more racist than he was old. He was more bigoted than he was old. <laughs> he was, yeah, that's, that's so ridiculous. So yeah. That is so ridiculous. That's that that's true. what that's yeah. what it took. I mean, it's an abuse. If you think about or know anyone that's ever been in an abusive relationship, whether it be physical abuse or mental abuse or even self abuse with mm-hmm, any sort of issues, mm-hmm. there's there is a there is an abuse culture with Trump and his base, but also Trump and America that we've come into. That there is a you know walk out the door. Just walk out the door and start over. Mm-hmm. That's a hard thing to do yeah. as someone who's in a relationship that's abusive. Mm-hmm. And so you think about people that are that are Trump voters, they have to walk, they have to face their community as so like to be anti-Trump when you're in the Trump community, that's that's sacrilegious. Right. But also the people that you can clearly see that they know Trump is a joke, he's getting out of hand, mm-hmm. the things that he says on Twitter, but they're still blindly supporting him because they almost feel like oh, I can't admit that I was wrong. Right. Well, it's just, yeah, it's know. like being in a relationship. It's like it's yeah. it's kind of Stockholmish. We're like, oh, oh. well, they make excuses for him. Like, yeah. Oh, well, oh, oh they say the one that kills me is, I like that he just says how it is. He's just keeping it real. I'm like, what? Yeah. That's the stupidest real thing. Real racist. Real yeah. racist <laughs> and real wrong. I'm like, yeah. well, that's not okay. Like, I don't care how right. truthful you're being. Your yeah. truth is wrong. And like, yeah. truths are. Not, and I always say this: truths aren't facts. Truths change. Mm-hmm. There's some things we generally consider true. They're not necessarily facts. And he mm-hmm. just will spit out his truths mm-hmm. and we take them as facts. I'm like, right. that's not a fact. That's right. something we all consider yeah. true because he's saying it. You guys follow it. He's the president. Okay. But it's both sides too. And I think that's it recently with his tweets, uh, especially this week with the go back to where you came from tweets. With the squad, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. with the squad, which I don't like calling them the squad because I feel I like it, it, it brands them as like a. It does. But, the, but, but the, that's the, what they call themselves. They call themselves. So themselves. We're say yeah, it for they, now. They, they did it themselves. So they and if you don't know who the squad is, it is AOC, Ayanna Presley, Rashida Tlaib, and Ilan Omar. Mm-hmm. Who so. have been doing work that I, I think that. You know, it's it's unfortunate that at, in 2019 it takes it took that much time for there to really be, and there's always been uh, representatives that have you know broken through. Mm-hmm. But the fact that the four that are really breaking through are freshmen mm-hmm. just goes to show how much complacency there is amongst the rest of the house to realize that wait a second, they are are taking the momentum from their election and they're making it actual continuing momentum throughout their job, mm-hmm. and that's something that. You know, when people are talking about fighting for, like, they won't vote for something, or they'll, although uh, they will do a no vote because they don't want to be on the record having voted for something that will change whether or not they get elected. The, 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 that concept, the fact that we just let that go, that people are fighting for seats, mm-hmm. for what? Like, mm-hmm. you, you, there, you, you serve and then you end up leaving. Yeah. Whether or not your constituents say that's accurate. And, and so finally gerrymandering becomes an issue. And finally um, you know, uh, identity politics in an actual infrastructural sense makes a difference. But the fact that we're kind of still just sitting back and and well, they're not voting for that. Like they're not saying this because they want the Trump con- uh, continuity to help get them reelected. Mm-hmm. Well, why do we want them reelected? Right. They should, you should prove your worth. And the idea of that is so antiquated that no one's really proving their worth except for these freshmen Congresswoman. Right. Absolutely. I completely agree. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about his tweets mm. and the situation <laughs> that happened last week. And if you aren't privy to what happened, he basically tweeted, you know, that these four women, since they have um, such vocal uh, criticism towards how he's running the country, they should go back to where they came from, I quote unquote, fix those, fix that country, fix their government, and then come back and show them how it's done. Granted, three mm. of them were born here and are from here, and Ilan Omar uh, became a citizen six years before his wife even did. 
So this kind of spiraled into a lot of people agreeing with him. I was very shocked with how many people agreed with what he said. And then in a Trump rally, uh, there began even this chant of center back uh, referencing Ilan Omar. And what has been so problematic for me over the last few years, which is like, why is his first term still not done yet? It's been a long it's term. It has been long. Is that he's just been allowing people to be like, it's okay for me to say this. It's okay for me to talk like this. It's okay for me to feel this way because the president says it, so it has to be okay. Yeah. And it's so problematic. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't I don't think that it didn't exist beforehand. It was for not sure. incited. And I think for that sure. the the biggest challenge now, we were talking about this earlier, Melinda, is the uh, the idea that those tweets set off the Democratic Party and the left in a defense explanation. Uh, racism tour of explaining this, and I, and I understand that there's a, a there's a challenge we're, we're stuck in of this, the weight of the circumstance and the weight of what he said, and like you said, the, the fact that people blindly agree, it's not that they agree, they our education, the education system in our own country and our education about our own country is so limited that there's no context to look at this man and say, wait a second, this doesn't fall in line mm-hmm. with what I know to be what this country is built upon. Right. It's not. So right. that so they just go, well, I guess. All I have to do is agree with him, and I get to feel like I'm contributing. Cool, mm. easy. And he's he's inciting something that's inside of me that I'm a little upset about, or that I've been born to be upset about. And so when you begin to have the left begin to defend something that should just be seen as racist, he's racist. Here's an issue that we have to deal with, and let's work on tackling the issue. Less than this, this. I mean, the the news media of the past week has been this. <gasps> He said something racist. It's like, again, why are you shocked? Again. <laughs> right. Like, like, why? Like, and the shock culture of this, of this, we have to fight him. People have to get over it. He is the president. This is the country we live in. Mm-hmm. People say, send, go back to your country. Clerks tell people who come in their store to go back to that. That is the country. That's a fact. And I think putting the emotions aside, which is very hard to do, but looking at it as a problem we have to tackle, it's a lot different than discussing how we feel about it emotionally so much because it's gotten to the point where all he has to do is to send that tweet out. And he knows it. He's intelligent. He sends that tweet out and suddenly we're having a discussion on what's racist and what's not racist mm-hmm. as opposed to focusing on how do we change systematic racism. It is a fact. What he said was a racial statement. Yes. And he is a racially charged human being. Mm-hmm. And he is also a racist. Right. So let's right. talk about tackling that less than discussing the kind of racism and how it affects right. it. We know that. Right. Yeah. Right. You made a good point about you know our education. I think, I think this also goes to how we're training people and the toxic patriotism that we talked a little bit about. It, it, yeah, if I agree with the president, I'm kind of right. You know, I, I feel good about what I'm saying. Yeah, that's, that's true. Go back to where you came from. But I've always felt like people are not understanding that how this country was created it was by yeah. people who were not from here. Mm-hmm. So there are people who like my family is native like we're from here. Like not even like brought on a slave ship. Like from here. Mm-hmm. Like so I don't I can't even fathom being told go back to Africa even. Mm-hmm. Like that stuff it, it's, it gets me so pissed off because I'm like we're you're all from not Africa, right? Yeah. yeah, if you want to go that way, like the very yeah. beginning, right? Mm-hmm. But like y- the folks who created this country are not from here, right. so I don't understand when they, yeah. when people just chant that, not understanding. Did you go to school at all? Mm-hmm. Do you remember the, 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 those ships that came across from mm-hmm. from Britain to over well, here? You like have, you're not from here when yourself. You have textbooks right? in Texas in, t- in Texas changing the actual narrative yeah. of what slavery is. Mm-hmm. They don't know that. Yeah. You know, and I don't know if you saw but, that yeah, story but, but, but with it, Texas changing. Yeah, yeah. but I, but I do feel like I mean I grew up in a pretty liberal part of of New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm 30 minutes from the center of Manhattan, so. 
you would assume that the education system there would would highlight what slavery really was, and we did, mm-hmm. and we spoke about it, we learned about it, but to the gravity of what I learned as an adult is absolutely, there's there's no education even in places that do accept right. and allow it. Mm-hmm. Right. And we did a lot on, on immigrants from the 1920s, because a lot of, there was a, the white population was Italian and Irish, so there was a history of that for right. sure. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so you get, you know, there, there is still this selective education, but at no means do we understand slavery as an economic uh, issue. Like that's something that came up late to, to, to discuss slavery from the economic perspective gives new context and new yeah. color. Discussing yeah. it from an uh, interracial um, children perspective of not only slave owners and slaves, but just interracial marriages of the era are just so, to begin to guide the beginnings of multiracial people in this country is new context. Mm-hmm. And you get to learn as opposed to have to say something about it, which is something that we're not used to anymore. We're so used to commenting and mm-hmm. not just like sitting there reading something and digesting it and then going to bed. Like mm-hmm. that's how you learn something. Because, again, that goes to truths versus facts. We're taught so many truths Mm -hmm. that we generally consider to be true. But the actual facts we're not told. No. When, sure. I mean, it's, and it's, some of this are so far from the truths we're taught. Like, when, when someone hears it, they're Mm -hmm. like, there's no way. There's this cognitive dissonance that takes place. You're like, I've known this since second grade, and now you're going to tell me that's not true now? So then, then I hear something from this dude who looks like me, and he, he says stuff that I kind of like, hey, it feels kind of wrong, but I'm going to go along with right. it. Mm-hmm. Because at least if I go along with it around my folks, my people who all agree the same things that we think are true, right. I feel okay. But it's, all, right. it's also the same thing. Like if you're, if you're in a group of friends or you're at a barbecue or you're at a bar with people and, 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 and somebody makes a comment that's unsavory amidst a group of friends in an environment that's casual and everyone kind of lets it go. Not mm-hmm. saying you have to be there and say, like, all right, turn the music down. We have to talk about this statement you made, which is like, <laughs> let's go to the roots of this comment. Right. But there is still a sense of you don't – people don't want to be the person to have to be the authoritative adult in a group of friends. Well, because then you become the problem. You become well, – and I, and I think and even people don't have the literacy to know how to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to be empathetic. They don't know how to be pragmatic. They don't know how to speak about the history of our country because mm-hmm. they don't know it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and there's such an issue of, well, why is racism – why is it important that we discuss this? Right. So some people might not know how to answer that. Why is it important that, you know, there, there's almost like a justification turn at this point with Trump that's becoming, wait a second, they should go back to their country. Because like you said, truth and fact, they're getting things, they're taking as fact as these diseased rapist migrants are flooding our border. We have a crisis at the border. And that becomes fact. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing becomes back, and the third thing becomes back, and then someone who is from, let's say, Los Angeles, gets in a dialogue with someone who's been feeding, being fed all these, in quotes, facts. Mm-hmm. And I think the issue is that we don't offer them the understanding to realize that this is what they know, this is what they understand, this lines up with the values of the people in their circles. Mm-hmm. So there's no sense of trying to access the issue. There's only a chance to say, you're wrong, here's why, as if people are going to go, I didn't even see that. But I, right, but yeah. I think the problem is with those people is that nobody's ever taken the time to actually read and learn on their own. Mm-hmm. They're like, that's the president. He's the leader of this country. This is what he's saying, so I'm just going to believe it. Mm-hmm. So us, obviously, you know, being more on the liberal side and actually doing the research and doing, you know, trying to have these conversations, we become the problem. Like, well, you're wrong. No, the president said this. And I just find it so interesting. Like, why do you think that this man is telling you the truth? Why do you think that he represents you? Why do you believe everything that he's saying? I mean, that's that's our our, our country and our culture. Like my mom, oftentimes will will say something to me about, "Did you see this on TV? Mm-hmm. Did you read this? Did you see that?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I saw it." Well, what do you think about it? I, I don't care. 
Did I, uh, and like I feel bad about <laughs> something. Like, Mom doesn't really affect me. Well, you should. And she gets all heated about it. I'm yeah. like, you saw it on the news. Right. I'm like, it's the, it's TV. It's media, man. Right. It's not it's not right. actual life. When you go out, you feel the things that they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh no. I'm like, what? That's it. Yeah. What are you actually experiencing when you walk outside? Like, so many times, I, even my daughter gave me this joke she wanted me to do on stage about Mexicans taking our jobs. She goes, Dad, I've never had a Mexican walk up to me and take the vacuum cleaner. Mm-hmm. And I started dying. I'm <laughs> like, you, that's funny. That's hilarious. I've never had that either. And I'm like, I don't see Mexicans running in taking coding jobs at, at this tech industry. They're coming in right. getting what they can. And but they work they their did, butts off. And if they did. What does that say about you? Exactly. Yeah. You know? You yeah. could have got yeah. the same job. <laughs> right. But they, you, and they're probably working two of these right. jobs that you could have done. But then you, you go beyond that and you say, because it's funny, I, had, I very rarely engage on social media with dialogue. But there was some. Uh, I wish I were like that. You are a pro, Melinda. There was uh, somebody who mentioned um, in a comment about the sender back chance, talking about how, like, but saying white privilege is not racist, right? And I think the idea of, and in my response to him, it was about white privilege is not an opinion. White privilege is a statistical fact. Mm-hmm. That if you look backwards and you say, if you obviously... You know, because his whole thing was I work my ass off, my blood, sweat, and tears, and that's and that's and I think that's the biggest defense for people to say white privilege is, is something that is racist against white people, and that's and that's a call for a lot of Trump voters and people in that in that in that mentality. And I think the understanding is to give them the currency to feel not privileged, and I think that's they don't understand their privilege, mm-hmm. and I think that's something that's important to have the dialogue. And we got to a nice common ground of explaining you have statistically. In the past, getting a job, getting pulled over, um, going on a date, all these different things. Depending on your color, you have a certain advantage that you might not have otherwise. Mm-hmm. And you're blind to most of those advantages until you actually experience them. And so a statistical fact of white privilege is a lot different than me saying, you're white, you're privileged. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of white people in this country who are feeling very unprivileged. Sure. Who are sure. feeling in the dump. And as they should, because again, race is not color, race is economics. Mm-hmm. Rate The color is just the easier layer on top that you could point to somebody at. Right. But you go to places in the world who have one singular race, it's tribal. Mm-hmm. or it's economics, or it's something else. But it all goes back to, you know, when I was in Kenya shooting, there was the, the biggest difference between tribes were if they had uh, livestock, then they were trading more outside of their villages, mm. which means they had more open ideas to advancing their own communities. Those who didn't have livestock weren't trading, they were self-sustained, and they had more cultural traditional ideas, like FGM, like things that were already abolished elsewhere in the mm. country. So you mm. begin to see how community and communication changes that based upon whether or not I have a pig which can offer me finances outside of my community. Mm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. those little, little things is what brings it back to what you said, Carmel, and suddenly people are saying, well, I'm not gonna take the vacuum cleaner. Well, if that vacuum cleaner was $15 an hour, then you might hold on to that vacuum cleaner mm-hmm. even more. <laughs> and, so, and things change. And so yeah. when someone's taking that vacuum cleaner for $5 an hour or $4 or $2 an hour off the books just because they can get a job, well, that's part of the economy which unfortunately exists that we need to supply. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we deported everyone that was an illegal, honestly, it was not a documented Californian mm-hmm. in California, our restaurant industry and our farming industry in the whole country would collapse. Right. Mm-hmm. So right. they're not taking oftentimes jobs of somebody who is a U.S. citizen. They're often right. taking jobs of someone who came before them that is just like that. Yeah. Why do you think people don't see the connection between socioeconomics and race? Because they can't pronounce socioeconomics. No, yeah, yeah. Right. Yep. serious. Yeah, that's what I would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Seriously, Poly- polysyllabic uh, words are not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> not happening. Because I, I think you're born with you're born with 
black, white, Hispanic, Asian. You're born with these ideas that are easy. Like I could touch my white skin and I can touch black skin. Mm -hmm. I can touch it, yeah. but I can't really touch social and socioeconomic injustice. I can't touch uh, Section 8 housing and mm -hmm. um, racial biases in a very, if, you know, if, if we all applied for an apartment and I got it because I was white and you guys were not white, mm -hmm. that's something that as a landlord, you can go through every legal guideline through and I could get that apartment just because I got the apartment, mm -hmm. but I could also get it because he was being racially biased. Right. Either way, the system is set up that you can have racial bias in those spaces. Mm -hmm. And so racism is not one or the other. Racism can be injected without there actually being structural change. And I think that's, that's, that nails it because I was just talking to some friends of mine yesterday about um, a lot of us who grew up in Compton and Linwood and how Compton at one time was a very white town mm. and how um, through... What years do you know? Uh, I, think, I think it was like in the 40s to like the 70s and then okay. um, blacks started to move in and the housing that they could get versus the housing that they wanted, right. the loans they could get, loans they couldn't get and how if you look at, I think around, they said around the Compton airport, those are certain housing that their parents got that was super cheap, not the best area because who wants to be around an airport? But they hold on to it because that's all I could get. And so it's like, if, as a white person, your family didn't have to go through that. They could literally pick up and go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And not understanding that this section of white Compton is so black now is because they were forced into that area. They right. couldn't just go up into any town. And, oh, I want to get this house and go to the bank and hey, Bank of America, give me a loan. No. Right. As you said, you could walk in and apply for a, an apartment and yeah, and Someone could just look at you because you're white and say, I'll give it to him. Mm -hmm. And people don't understand that because that's something you can't see. You, you don't get to see the loan application. You don't get to see the guy deny or approve. You don't see that. You yeah. just see black, white, Asian. Mm -hmm. So that's 100% that's, that's it. Yeah. So I was speaking to somebody uh, who works for a very wealthy individual. And this wealthy individual was discussing might have been an area up in Northern California. And she said, oh, it hasn't gentrified yet, but it's on its way in like a positive way. And mm. she's, she's a billionaire, wow. right? And so her perspective and she and she was angry about it and i said you have to understand her perspective that for her the word gentrification and the conversation was about how she does not understand the word gentrification mm. but okay. i said she does for her for her gentrified means this area which was one an area i didn't go to is now being reinvested to an area that i can go to and bring my children so for her she doesn't understand the word <laughs> because she understands what it means and what it says and what it does but the context of it is different because when you don't perceive it as the benefit as a uh, it's, a, it's a benefit for yourself, but you don't see how it damages other people, then for her, that word means something. Mm -hmm. So we begin to go with these contexts and these words where we hold on to gentrification as a really heavy issue that's deeply rooted in how this country is formed racially. And for somebody else, gentrification means it's almost ready for a Whole Foods. And so, and I think it's, and to go back to your question, Melinda, <laughs> I don't think people realize that. I don't think people realize, you know, what it means to be a base level, to be fair, mm -hmm. to be fed, we are a country that does not have social ideals, but we have social programs, and I think that needs to change. Mm. You go to Europe, people really understand that food and education and a place to live and healthcare make, and healthcare <laughs> makes mm -hmm. makes cities and countries prosper. Yeah, yeah. and I, and yeah. watching um, Michael Moore's "Where Do We Invade Next?" Have you seen that? <laughs> Man, <laughs> I it, seen oh that. my god, you got to watch All it because right, it, it it hits exactly like that. Like he was at this hotel. And he saw, I guess, down from his hotel, this restaurant serving, like, this, the kitchen had some, like, cheese and some stuff. And he said, oh, man, I'm going to go there tomorrow. He goes down, walks around the corner, and it turns out it's a school. And he's like, oh, man, this must be a super high-end school. And he goes in the cafeteria. Say, then they've got, like, Farquhar, and they've got, like, 
wine and all the stuff and they play settings all so he said man what 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 private school is this they're like this is not a private school I said what he said this is all the schools are like this they have like courses he's like yeah and this is this is not like a special lunch they know this is every meal mm. and he's just blown away and so at, as he's sitting there talking to these kids eating like you know steak and chicken and all this he facetimes a kid like in some random town in, in LA or anywhere in, in America and it's like this horrible looking pizza this juice the box same color, same color <laughs> yeah. fruit cup and yeah. he's like would you want to eat this? And he's showing the kids, and it was in France. Mm-hmm. Would you eat this? It's American food, right? You, you, you like America. And the kid's like, no. <laughs> I've seen the article where they show the different school lunches throughout uh, around the world, and it's just like embarrassing. It's, I read, <laughs> it's I read, so bad. I read an article this morning about how they are, um, for parents who have debt for their school lunches, that they're beginning to threaten to put those kids in foster care now because the parents can't pay their debt. <laughs> Like that, so, so, and, so and, and so we're going through. Yeah, we're going back. If you could see my forward. face right yeah. now, you guys. <laughs> oh but that, God. but that becomes the issue. And so, and so, I think one of the things that we're having a problem with, with uh, on the debates, when I think Bernie Sanders does the the best job of of establishing health care, why, how much, et cetera, et cetera, put it aside, hmm. because we, it's a human right. It doesn't it? Shouldn't matter how much health care costs. That's it. Yeah. Right. Healthcare should be provided. Yeah. Do we need to reinvent the system? Yes. Do we need to restructure it? Yes. Which his policies and other policies do begin to build around. And so they're all obviously, you know, the, it's, a, it's a very policy-based issue mm-hmm. because you set that infrastructure up, but not only forward, but you have to go backwards. Mm-hmm. But I think that the his core reason is because it's the right thing to do goes to the same sense of you look at Guam or Puerto Rico and the terrible injustices that go on to those people who live there. Mm-hmm. And the only reason we don't talk about statehood or adjusting how their territories are governed is solely for the fact that a Republican-led Senate wouldn't want more uh, Democratic representation in Congress and more electoral votes. That, yeah. That's literally all it is. I mean, because mm-hmm. if, if Puerto Rico wouldn't get any more representatives and no senator and no electoral votes, it would make sense to make them a state. It would, it would accrue their debt. It would do all yeah. these different things that we took the responsibility of by taking over these places right. and right. stealing these places. Stealing but is stealing. correct, yeah. Exactly. I mean, the British Empire is not dead. The British Empire came to the 13 colonies, mm-hmm. they transferred mm-hmm. over, and they kept going. Right, mm-hmm. you know? right. I think our priorities aren't in check. That's no, not at all. The, my no. feeling. Personally and overall. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. Like, when we talk about doing the right thing, it it always goes back to the dollar. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's no way we're going to look at something and it's, yeah, just take the money, set it aside. Right. They're going to want to know how much is it? Is sure. it too much? Is it too yeah. little? Like, I think it was back to that documentary in Portugal. They were showing their prisons, mm. and it looked like honestly, it looked like this. Like, it was oh, a you very, showed me a picture. Yeah. Didn't oh my you? god! And it looked yeah. like a dorm yeah. room. Yeah, it was like a dorm room. It was <laughs> super nice, yeah. and, they, and, they, and like people don't stay here very long. And, and I think we, I think they actually the I, the term of correctional facility actually comes to play. Yes, there are course corrections that go on yeah. there. Mm-hmm. And there's You're personal building. Your yeah. wrongdoings, yeah. but it's that would cost you. a lot more mm-hmm. than just building a five by ten concrete right. cell. Right, but that's a lot easier when you're throwing people in there for the color of their skin. Right? Exactly, right. right. Exactly. But also, right. Our, yeah. our justice system is set up just to keep people in that system. Yeah, yeah. Because they're making money off us, right. and people understand that it's all it's all money based. Uh, all our policies, all our agendas, all our legislature is all money based. So to hear someone say, "Well, it's the right thing to do. We should do this. It's a human right." They don't care. Right. They don't care. Like, it's so much about how much can I get from this because I'm going to be out of here in four years, yeah. or my my term is up, and I want to have this money when right. I get out of here. It, they, they don't care about yeah. me. They don't care about Dakota or right. Melinda. They right. want to make sure that I have what's for me. And I right. get that to a degree. I understand. Get yours. and You get your family. When I understand. But to use our political system to do it, 
is atrocious. But what if you didn't have mm-hmm. to get yours, right? Because if you think about, like, if 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 the banking system just collapsed and money was no longer a thing, then what becomes an issue, right? Then mm-hmm. uh, shelter mm-hmm. and food mm-hmm. and resources, community. You know, the only reason that we're not at war with each other is because we've had enough death and war over the course of human history that we've realized we do better as a community. And even like you know, we forget sometimes that 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 war is what has formed every country in this planet. War is what has built peace. War is what has built sovereignty. War has done all these things and it hasn't ended. And I think we mm-hmm. get lost in the the boundaries of our country that, well, wars elsewhere are just these things, these bad things. They're all the same wars that we had, that we had, and that we had, and that we all just keep mm-hmm. cycling these wars. So the idea of that we're not all killing each other is because we've figured out a little bit of community. Mm-hmm. But that community comes with health, food, shelter. So you said it's a value of that dollar. The value of that dollar is so high because you have to buy necessities. Mm-hmm. You have to buy things that you right. should be afforded. So all of a sudden right. the dollar is less important when, well, I got food. My family's okay. My kids are in school. They're going to go to university and I could focus on doing my job that I love to do. Mm-hmm. I could focus on going home and having a hobby. A hobby is something that we all do when we have free time, which none of us do anymore because yeah. we have no free time. <laughs> right. But like, That's funny you say that. I don't mean to cut you off, but like yeah. again, I keep going back to this, this documentary. He was talking to someone about how they're so more focused on trades versus university. Like, because they have all those basic things taken care of. And if a person likes to build ceramic bowls, Mm -hmm. everyone buys this guy's bowls. And that's enough to survive. He makes good money. He's known as the best ceramic bowl maker. He doesn't want to go work at, you know, Costco. Mm-hmm. I want to do this. And he loves it and he gets paid to do it. Mm-hmm. Or this person is, whatever their trade is, their hobby, they get paid to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So their way of life is so different. I get to do what I love and I get paid and I have all the basic necessities. Mm-hmm. Who wouldn't want that here? And, that, and that's a healthcare issue. That's mental health. That's mental physical health, health, physical yeah. health, yeah. all yes. that. Those stresses are gone. That's why we go over there and we're just like, man, the vibe here is different. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, 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 <laughs> of and, course. And, and I think yeah. that's something that yeah. we don't understand that, that you talk about. You know, I think Pete Buttigieg does bring it up a few times, the fact that he's still in student debt. Eric Swallow, when he was running, did bring that up. And I think there, there's an out-of-touchness, which is a little bit different, that I think going through an experience of not having health care or, or understanding that, well, if I drive on the freeway or if I drive through the city, one of them is going to use less gas. Those are things that people think about. Mm-hmm. And there's this silly question about how hard do you pull the toilet paper roll? Mm-hmm. Well, if, you're, if, if buying toilet paper once every, you know, the big pack every few months and you buy the big pack and you go, well, I'm out of toilet paper. Well, if I could get that last a little bit longer, I could save a few bucks here. And if I don't use as much paper towels, I could, and then you're thinking about, I have this nice piece of steak. Well, I'm, I could I totally take this down, but if I have three quarters of it, I'll have the other quarter tomorrow with my mm-hmm. And all yeah. of a sudden, those yeah. types of, of, of computations are happening for people and not for others. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. our representatives need to at least understand, if not have experienced those things, in the same way AOC was the perfect candidate for that community because she represented the community. Right. She represented their ideals. But the challenge is, what has that community gained since she's been elected? Not really anything much yeah. because it's still a house of representatives that are very, very different than she is. And for it's sure. still law that needs to be passed. So this for idea sure. of this movement, unfortunately, we used to be at a place where if you, you know make the changes at home, suddenly it begins to grow. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, we're at a point where the president has such a pivotal role in our society, as Barack Obama did, as Donald Trump has, that the next president could have such an integral role in changing that, that I think, which is why, unfortunately, this is 
the most important election of our country's history. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head. That's always been my issue with politicians is that they are helping fight for these causes that none of them have ever experienced. Mm -hmm. And it's so important to actually listen to the voices of the people because we are supposed to be a democracy, but it never actually feels that way as you, you know, talk Mm -hmm. about often. Mm -hmm. So I'm just wondering like, how do they actually, cause I, I mean, they go, you know, to churches, they'll go out into the community, but they don't experience it. They don't really know what they're fighting for, to be honest. You just said they go out to do something. There's mm-hmm. no sense of empathy. Or, I mean, some of them do. There really yeah. is a sense of empathy and understanding mm-hmm. that I've seen a lot of the media of these candidates putting out that in terms of, of little documentary series or little uh, clips of them going to certain cities. And you can yeah. see a, a, an investment or, or a listening that they're doing that is mm-hmm. a lot different. Mm-hmm. Though there is a, like you said, they have to, why do they go to Iowa? Well, because Iowa's first. Why do they go to the black communities in Iowa? Well, because they need that vote. Like, what if they, what if somebody just campaigned to campaign? What if somebody just campaigned to spread ideas? What if somebody mm-hmm. campaigned without caring what someone would think about right. them? And they did in 2016. That's what Donald Trump did. Right. Mm-hmm. There wasn't much of a plan. He For was sure. screaming and shouting and pointing and standing behind, breathing down Hillary's neck in that in that debate. I mean, right. he was just doing things that are that were so out of left field, but they weren't about. I mean, one of his biggest faults is that he, there wasn't much of a plan there. There wasn't a plan at all, and that's what I, his kooky as she is, I really do love Marianne Williamson, but she did say something very, very smart the last mm-hmm. debate. She said he didn't run with any plans. He run by simply saying, make America great again. Mm-hmm. And his whole voter base, they're like, yeah, I want to make this country great again because they got into their mind that Obama ruined the country. Mm-hmm. So he, he didn't need a plan. He didn't. And, and, and he did what he needed to do as the candidate he needed to be. He didn't. Iowa? <laughs> Iowa. <laughs> I would love to see Trump walk around Iowa. Right. <laughs> right. Walk around there, go to go right. to the the, right. the, the, the cookout. And right. I would love to see him in the community connecting with Iowans. Of course not. Of course no. not. Never happened. He but shouted it in Des Moines. Yeah. And that's all he needed to do. It's it. That's yeah. it. It's it's make it yeah. so simple and easy to consume and people will eat it up. Right. But, I, but I think that's what's important for, the, for these candidates now to, to take that role, to mm-hmm. go out and be themselves. Like Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren are two that I thought were once they once they uh, said they're going to run for president, suddenly they changed. Mm. They were no longer the senators that they were, or for Kamala Harris, the attorney general that they were, that they actually continued their voice. Elizabeth Warren's voice was strong. Mm-hmm. And then she ran for president and it became uh, conformed. Mm. And then a few months later, she got it back. Same yeah. thing with Kamala Harris. They yeah. did this thing of, oh, and I, and I understand being a woman in this country, you have to play the role, or you think well, you have to play the role. Same as a person role. of color. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and for yeah, Kamala yeah. Harris, you get both. Yeah. And I think that they, unfortunately, were put under this machine of, well, now you have to run for president. No. Be who you are and yeah. run for president because right. that's when Kamala Harris on that debate she was Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. She wasn't Kamala Harris. I mean, the video she put out was like a poppy, colorful. Yeah, like I'm Kamala for the people, and it was like that. that but that's it's not like the person. Be you. That I, mm-hmm. I voted for you twice as as, as, as senator and first attorney general. I, I voted for you twice, and I voted for somebody that I don't see anymore. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly she came back. So I think it's in the place where if they just be themselves mm-hmm. and not care whether they win or lose they'll most likely win because the most of them are trying to worry about whether they're going to win or lose. And that's honestly why Trump won. Mm -hmm. Because he was just himself. Mm -hmm. As horrible and as bigoted and as racist Mm -hmm. as he is, Mm -hmm. he was just himself. He didn't have to try to appeal to the people. He just went out there, was, you know, he's a businessman. He talked crap about everybody. Mm -hmm. People resonated with that Mm -hmm. and he won. Which is nice. You know, the the fringe Democratic candidates, um, Michael Bennett's a good one. Mm -hmm. uh, And Jay Inslee's another good one. Mm -hmm. And Andrew Yang is, is... I, he's on his own planet, and I love what but he's I'm doing. That's with him. I'm obsessed with him. He, I would be totally comfortable. He was president of our country. Yeah, but these these fringe Democratic candidates, there's like like the Tim Ryan's. I feel like are just 
they're like these, they're just bodies that are being filled. But there's a few of them that are so dead set on what they want to run for that they're kind of blind to the fact that they are on the fringe. Mm. And it's refreshing to see them speak about certain issues as a politician, as somebody who cares, mm-hmm. because they don't have the currency, actual currency, money in their in their campaign to broaden out their their you know their visibility in the country. So mm-hmm. they have to run on policy. Right. And right. so every now and again, I'll hear something from Jay Inslee, and I'll go, "Wait a second, why isn't this being echoed by everybody else? Because well, yeah. all he can do is be himself. Because if he's like everybody else, then he falls away. But if he's himself, right. he stands out. He's and that's why. Sure. Yeah. And that's why Trump was actually, I mean, the perfect candidate because he has the money mm-hmm. and the ability to say whatever I want. And then back that up with putting it everywhere. Right. Or these guys who don't have, and I, I keep saying I hate how you have to have all this money to campaign. But you do because you have to fight this this monster. And then then if you get the money from these donors and these sponsors, now you have to act a certain way. Mm-hmm. You can't be yourself because now, well, this person represented me and this person gave me money. I got to do it. So I hate mm-hmm. that whole that whole uh, template for a politician to have to fit into to, to run because they can't be themselves. So, and I agree. I, when I first heard Elizabeth Warren, I was like, okay, I, I can get with that. You know, and then I'm like, Where'd it go? Yeah, you know, where'd you go? Yeah, what, what happened? That, that, the Native American ancestry video, I th- when she went and did the whole, like that, I think Trump's response to that was one of the better things he's done as president mm. in a sense of sh- he did his whole Pocahontas thing for, and which is terrible, <laughs> and, he, and he, for it's the longest just, yeah. time. And then she does this whole quest of herself and she finds that she's like a quarter, I don't know, a quarter percent mm-hmm. Cherokee or something like that. Yeah. And they asked him about it. He was doing a press conference thing in the Rose Garden and, he, and they asked him and it was so dismissive of the whole, like she did this whole film and this whole journey. And he was like, eh, yeah, whatever. And he kept going on. And it was so good to put, <laughs> to, and, and, I, and both for his base, but also the sense of like, he said this thing, let me go on this big journey to prove, to prove my captor right. Let me, let me show you why I'm right. And right. by the time she finished proving her point, which wasn't really a good point, right. he was like, we don't really care anymore. Yeah, he and that's on. so defeating and it's so accurate. <laughs> and he, as a bully, knows that. Yeah. And I think that there's a bully mentality that he is good at mm-hmm. that ends up really uh, defeating Democrats in the election last time. But I mean, he really hooked Hillary right at the end. Totally. And I think there's a, the Elizabeth Warren example is another one. Mm-hmm. But as it goes along, they have to make sure that they're not so... Uh, reactive to what he says yeah. because he doesn't care about what he said. He doesn't. So when you come back and you're passionate with tears in your eyes and this is what you said to me and here's why I'm not that and he goes, what are you, you're wasting my time. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm doing something else. Yeah. It's so deflating. Yeah, it, they, they cannot play the game that way. They can't because if they came up in passion and bowling and crying, he'd be like, look how weak they are. Look at this person's crying. Right. You want yeah. this as your president? Yeah. And you're like, yeah, I mean, what, not, not even talking about what I'm saying, but I'm 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 visibly upset, so now I'm weak. So he, you cannot play this game. It's that the way. same thing if you want yeah. to stage North Carolina, and we're going to say, well, here is the history of go back to Africa in our country, and here is the history of go back to your country. Here's what it means, and here's the and you can give them a lecture in plain English that they would understand, and they would all go, send her back. Yeah. Send, like they, it wouldn't change. So you, <laughs> we have to understand. We have to connect differently than just saying, oh, here's you're wrong. I'm right. Here's a really good answer why I'm right. Mm-hmm. Because by then. That voter base, they they've, already they've already checked out. They've already checked out. So how do we fix that? Ooh, um, personal activism. I think. I think. I think. I think our activism now has to really focus on making sure that he's not elected again. I think it's the most important thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's the you know you, you're you're lost in the desert. The first thing you look for is water. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You might need a phone to call somebody. You might need some shelter. But you just need some water. Yeah. And I yeah. think right now we need water. We act mm-hmm. active on ideas, on on concepts, on you know, do your personal thing and do your community thing, but do what you can to make sure he doesn't get elected. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. We have Carmel. two years to do it. I think, you know, the next person who's gonna I mean, whoever it is, 
again, like I said, don't play the game the same way. Be different. Like, he's using Twitter, and that's his big thing. I don't see a lot of candidates going hard on Facebook or on Instagram. Like, completely a complete campaign that's completely different than we've ever seen before. It's the it's the biggest platform we have. Mm-hmm. I get NBC, M- MSNBC, because we're used to seeing people on TV. Yeah. But if a candidate went hard on Instagram, stories yeah. and Facebook, yeah. that's all we're looking at. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then... I mean, Especially twi- the stories, because the, story, the pictures yes. itself, the algorithm, right. that's another conversation. Yeah. But for stories, it's, I am yeah. with you on that. If yeah. someone was on Twitter, I mean, if someone was on Facebook and Instagram with stories and all that, we'd be fascinated. Yeah. We'd be all, we get to see it behind the scenes and what they're doing. We would be we would fall in love with that person just because we get access to them. Right. We get to see what they're actually doing. Right. That's what I think a person needs to do. Because one, Trump's not doing that. He don't want us to see behind the curtain. Right. No, no, he, no absolutely not. It, right. Yeah. It's easy for them to put on Twitter, put a tweet, and I'm good. Yeah. To do stories and all that stuff, it'd be a wrap. I mean, it's a blessing and a curse that he is the president at the peak of like uh, technology, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. you yeah. know. Um, but I do think if a, if a candidate were to take a different platform and use it in a positive way, yeah. it could make a huge difference. Well, he's the best of technology. He's the best of technology. He knows all about all good technology, and there's no one better than him about technology. Everything. So <laughs> lucky us that at the peak of technology, we have the technology president. Oh my oh, gosh! Goodness. Well, I I hope you guys have enjoyed this conversation. Of course, in true we need to talk fashion. We always end with a positive note, highlighting a community organization or person that's doing good in the world. But for this episode, I want you guys to tag somebody that is doing good in the world some organizations some charities and community that you think is doing positive so that we can highlight them on our next episode and we want to thank you for listening thank you dakota for coming yeah, in again always, always love having you and we will see you next week Later. Bye. and this episode of we need to talk is brought to you by black brew the darkest richest boldest coffee anywhere